Well, good morning. Hey, hallelujah. Microphone's working. Just wanted to make sure you were awake. Good to see you today, people of God. A couple announcements. Uh, this coming Wednesday is First Wednesday, 6.30, right here in this room. If you've never been to a First Wednesday, I would suggest you haven't lived yet. So come live on Wednesday night. We're gonna worship and pray and go for it here right in this room. So mark your calendar. The second thing is Pastor Brady is in El Salvador today preaching at the largest church in El Salvador. And uh, apparently God gave him the gift of Spanish today. He's down there preaching. In Sp it's a joke, you can laugh. So anyway, Pastor Brady, we bless you. Go for it, have a blast. We'll see you next week. Uh, so it's fun to be able to send him down there to minister and to be a blessing to the people of God in Central America. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to probably the third page in the Bible, Genesis chapter three. It's an iconic story. We know Genesis one and two, uh, but today we're looking at Genesis three and we're asking who is God the Father? And so what I'll do is I'll read this text and then I'll pray and we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord out of Genesis chapter three. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say? <laughs> did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, no, that's, that's, you've got half of the story right. We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. And the serpent slithers up and says, you will not certainly die. He's planting seeds of doubt. He says that to the woman, you will not certainly die for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and it was also pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, then she took some and she ate it and she gave it to her husband who was also with her and he ate it and then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves and then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Let us pray, Lord, we need you to speak to us today. We did not get out of bed this morning to be entertained. We did not get out of bed this morning to hear a tricky talk. We did not get out of bed this morning to, to just punch uh, the card. We didn't, God, we came here today because we are convinced you're the God who speaks. And so we say, come Holy Spirit and move among us today. Would you challenge us and encourage us and shape us and remake us? Would you transform us into the people of God? Lord, would you, would you remove everything out of us that's not like you? And would you fill us afresh with your very life? We pray today, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. It was all going so very well until it wasn't. Genesis 1 and 2, 
God is hovering over the chaos of the earth and the spirit of God is brooding over the primordial waters and God said, let there be light. There was light and the sun and the moon and the stars to govern the day and, 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 and earth is rising up out of the chaos and there's a firm place to stand and, and there's the skies and the seas, the rocks and trees and the birds, their carols they raise. There's so much goodness exploding in creation and grass and, and herbs and plants and fruit and all the garden is bursting with unbelievable blessedness and benediction. He saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. He saw seven times we hear that refrain in Genesis 1 and 2. It was, it was all going so very well until it wasn't. And we pick up the story here today in Genesis chapter 3 where the serpent slithers in and, and seduces the man and the woman away from obedience. And it says in verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty. You know the devil is not stupid. <laughs> The serpent was more crafty than all the other wild animals that the Lord our God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say, like, let's go back a little bit. I wasn't there, but you know, I can kind of imagine. So talk me through this, Adam and Eve, like what really happened in that moment? Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? What he's doing here in this moment is he's planting the seeds of doubt. He's causing us to question. He's the one that that wants us to believe that God is holding out on you. And God is really defensive and God is threatened. And this is why God doesn't want you to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because he knows that if you eat from that tree, that you will be like him, that you will supplant him, that God won't be needed anymore. And God is really fragile in his emotions and God really needs to be needed. And so he just wants to keep you from all the good stuff so that he can, he's protecting number one. This is what the enemy is doing with us when he cause, when he wants to seduce us into sin, he's trying to get us to doubt the goodness of God. God, God's fragile and he, you know, he's just kind of erratic and I I don't really think, and I want you to know, I've got the insider scoop that if you will take from that story, then you'll be in charge of your own future. And, And I just let you know that all of us have a little Adam and Eve inside of us, snatching and grabbing and trying to write our own stories and securing our own future communion in that moment When Adam and Eve took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, communion was broken with God and chaos ensued. Waywardness led to madness breaking out in creation. But I wanna ask today, what is the reason for our waywardness? Like, why do we all go to the middle of the garden? The, the, The thing that God clearly told us to stay away from, why do we take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Why do we want to write our own stories? What's the reason for our waywardness? It says in verse four, you won't certainly die. God's, God, no, you're not gonna die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. We get uncomfortable when we hear this, that, that we are all, we've all got a little Adam and Eve in us because we think about Adam and Eve in this moment as if they're some seditious tyrants in the garden that they're these evil, dark people that did something that we ourselves would never do in that moment. And I'm just here to level the playing field a little bit and say, that's not what's going on. We read it like Adam and Eve hatched some devious scheme to be like God, and there were these crazy terrorists trying to take over creation. That's not at all what's going on. 
And that's not true to the life that we experience. Sure, there are a handful of tyrants on the planet Earth at any given time, the Stalins and the Hitlers, and of course those moments happen in history, but more often than not, it's just a bunch of people who, who just wanna cut out the middleman. I, I don't want to depend on anyone. I don't want to live by faith. Can we be honest in the house of the Lord today? Like we owe the life of faith and I just love serving God and it's so easy taking up my cross and denying myself and following Jesus and laying my life on the altar. I don't generally enjoy that. I like to be in control of my story. I like to, to secure myself and be airtight when I think about the future. Like I'm unsinkable because I've gotten my money right and I've gotten my relationships right and if I can just keep my health right and keep my children in line, if I can, if I can circle up the wagons, I won't have to depend on anyone, especially God. I don't want to live by faith if I'm being honest most of the time, but God always calls us to live by faith. When, when the, the creatures try to act like the creator, creation fractures. And so Adam and Eve, they're just like us. They, they just wanna have a simple future and they just wanna know that they can take it in their own hands and they don't wanna have to live in the question of faith. They don't wanna to have to live at risk. They don't wanna to have to live bowing the knee to any other person or any other story. And they are just like us. We all want to be enlightened. We all want transcendence. And in America, the new sign of success is when we think we no longer have to depend on anyone else, right? When we can secure our future. But let's just be honest today. Independence is an illusion. Can we name the, the obvious? Independence is an illusion. I, I wrote this down this week as I was studying. We aren't born by any choice of our own. I had no decision in the matter to be here on planet Earth. That was not my decision. My parents are over here, God bless them. My twin sisters are 20 months older than me. They've never told me that I was a surprise, but let's do the math. <laughs> you don't have twins and then 20 months later, behold another little baby. Oh, praise God, he's given us another child. I, I had no decision in the matter. I just showed up and they kept feeding me and they changing my diapers and putting me in school and, and blessing me and praying for me and leading me and showing me the way and serving and, and staying up late at night, travailing and interceding when I had those just, they, they brought me in. I had nothing to do with it. Independence is an illusion. You aren't buried by any strength of your own. No one has ever put their casket in the ground. Like we laugh, but let's just be honest. You didn't decide to get born and I didn't either. And when, when our story is done, it's gonna take some other people carrying our caskets and going, what a, good, what a good person. Independence is an illusion. We weren't born by our own decision. We aren't buried by our own strength. And every moment in between is lived by faith in God and independence on other people. So let's just name today that the real reason for our waywardness, the reason we go to the middle of the garden that God said, if I promise it's going to lead to death. Like, just trust me, I'll be the creator, I'll be the sustainer, I'll be your God, you just be my good creature, be my people, follow me. The reason we go to the center and try to grab the story and take it into our own hands is we don't want to have to live by faith. It's okay, we can tell the truth today. The story doesn't stop there, but we've got to go there first. Genesis 3, 5 tells us we wanna be like God and we don't want to have to wait for God. 
But what's the result of our waywardness? If we know the reason for our waywardness is we don't wanna have to live by faith, what's the result of our waywardness? I'll I'll say first, the, the first result is shame and hiding. The result of our, when sin enters the story, we start, we start living in shame and we start running off and hiding. You see this right here in the very first story. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. Genesis 2, 25 says at the very end of the good creation story, it says, and they were both naked and they were unashamed, period. You turn to chapter three. Now the serpent was more crafty than the others. And then he leads them, seduces them into trying to take the story into their own hands. And when that happens, it says they both realized that they were naked and they were ashamed. Do you see what sin does to us? It breaks us from the inside out and it sends us into hiding. So they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. This is what he does every night. God, is a, God goes out on walks. He's walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Shame and guilt and embarrassment. They were, they were naked the whole time, but now only when sin enters into the story do they think that that's the wrong thing and that's a bad thing and it's a reason to hide. And we start hedging our bets and we start covering ourselves. And I'll just say, I know when I'm in a season where I've been wayward, I hide. I can't make eye contact. How you doing? I'm doing yeah, it's great, man. It's great, doing well. Shifty, you ever been with someone who's shifty? They can't make eye, they can't have a decent conversation. That's when you start asking really good questions. How are you doing right now? Like, what, what are you running from? What are you hiding from? Because I know it's in me and we know that it's in Adam and Eve. When sin enters into the story, shame and hiding take over our stories. But the second thing that happens when sin enters the story is that ruthless competition and eventual violence take over. Ruthless competition and eventual violence. Everyone becomes a threat. We start looking over our shoulders and God, he's walking in the garden in the cool of the day like he always does. But on this night, it was bad news. Okay, okay, so where do I need to go? How do I need to protect myself? I gotta go hide behind the trees because God is now a threat to me and Eve is a threat to me and Adam's a threat to me. The serpent is a threat to me. Ruthless competition and eventual violence. You see that a scarcity mindset begins to take over. And these people are, you know, we start thinking people are gonna eat my share of the pie. And and it used to be Genesis one and two, we see that it's a world of abundance and it's a world of gratuitous grace. There is no lack. And he saw that it was good and creation is popping with life. But you turn the page to Genesis three and now it's a world of scarcity where I've got to protect my rights and I've got to get mine and I've got to look out for number one and everyone else is a threat to me. We we see this in Genesis three. I want you to see what happens after the fall. Genesis three, the fall, and we have the fracturing of communion with God. Adam and Eve used to walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day and now they're hiding from him. In Genesis three, the fall creates the fracturing of communion with God. But then you turn the page to Genesis chapter four and the very first set of brothers, we've got Cain killing Abel. It's the fracturing of the family. We live in a world where we see this all day, every day. You read the headlines, the fracturing of the family. Genesis three, we lose communion with God because we think that we can be a better Lord 
Genesis 4, now everyone's a threat. And the very first set of brothers, we got Cain killing Abel and burying him in secret and God talking to him. Oh, I don't know where my brother is. Am I my brother's keeper? It's the fracturing of the family. Genesis 6 through 9, you turn the page and you've got Noah and the flood, which is the fracturing of the created order. The world used to work right, and we didn't used to have uh, tsunamis, and we didn't used to have earthquakes, and we didn't used to have famines, and we didn't used to have wars, and we didn't used to have all this stuff, but communion with God is broken, communion with the family is broken, and then we suffer communion with the created order being broken. This is what we see in the story of Noah and the flood. And then you turn to Genesis chapter 11, this iconic story. We're gonna build, we're gonna re-secure our future. If we couldn't get it in Genesis three, let's build a tower to the heavens because if we can build a tower to the heavens, we can go up there and knock God off of his throne and we'll be God all on our own all over again. And what you see in this moment at the Tower of Babel is the fracturing of the nations. They all used to speak one language, and in Genesis chapter 11, all of a sudden they can't understand each other. Have you ever been in a room where everyone's shouting but no one understands each other? Basically, it's the news. And we're all really loud and we're all really saying a lot of things and we all think we're right and we all think our point of view is airtight, but no one has heard anything for the last few years. Genesis chapter 11 is the Tower of Babel, and we are living at the base of the Tower of Babel. We are living in the ruins of that story. When we take the story into our own hands, we lose communion with God. We lose communion with our closest people. Creation suffers underneath the weight of the chaos. And then the peoples, we got Russia and Ukraine right now on the brink. Why? Because we're living in the ruins of the Tower of Babel. What you see here in Genesis chapter 11 is that Adam and Eve start pointing the finger. Look at this. And the Lord said, after he finds them hiding in the garden, says, and the Lord said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman. Thanks for nothing, God. Factory defect. Factory defect. I, I recall, I want a new one. God goes, I took her out of your rib. It, that, apparently it's in you. <laughs> the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit to eat from the tree and I ate it. I was just, I was, you know, I was trying to be clean. I was even fasting that day when she gave it to me, but she force fed me and she, she told me she was gonna be real difficult around the house if I didn't eat it. And, and, and I was trying, I told her Eve, no. We shouldn't do this. Remember what God said. God, I tried to be clean, but I was just preserving the peace. The woman, she did this. Then in verse 13, then the Lord God talks to Eve. What is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent. Oh, I, you know, I, I was, Adam and Eve, we were trying to do right, but, but this serpent came up and he was more crafty and uh, you should have made him different. Like if you'd have made him clean and straight and, and whatever, like you put me at risk, God, the serpent did this and Adam is going, the woman did this and the woman said, and do you see what happens here? Do you see what happens here? When sin takes over, it's always someone else's fault. When sin takes over, it's always someone else's fault. Fault. Have you ever been with children who are fighting? No one ever goes, my bad. 
When sin takes over, it's always someone else's fault. Adam says it's Eve's fault. Eve says it's the serpent's fault. And that's what makes repentance so powerful. Repentance says, I'm sorry, I was wrong. The madness stops with me. Do you know in a world like the world we're living in, repentance is a superpower? (laughs) Repentance will change the world. This is what we get to do as the people of God. We realize, we read our origin story here and we realize that accusation and finger pointing and living looking over your shoulder and trying to take the story into your own hands and fight for your own rights, it actually just keeps the madness going. But the people of God are those who, David, Psalm 51, he'd sinned. He'd done what is evil in God's sight and he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love and blot out the guilt of my sin for I have sinned against you. I've done what is evil in your sight. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I was wrong and anything you decide to do to me would be right and God, I'm asking for your mercy. Do you know that in a world of, 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 of competition and eventual violence, the people of God living as humble and living as repentant folks, that will change the world. You want to change the world? Repent. You want to change your family? Repent. You want to change your workplace? Repent. Do you want to change your neighborhood? Live in humility. Do you want to be a blessing to your children? Live in humility and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And don't point the finger, chop it off before Jesus said that if your hand causes you to sin, quit that stuff. Repent. Brothers and sisters, when sin enters the story, it's always someone else's fault, but the people of God are those who say, have mercy on me, oh God, I have sinned against you. We know the reason for our waywardness. We we don't want to trust anyone else. We don't want to live by faith. We want to be like God. We understand the result of our waywardness is, is shame and hiding and it's competition and eventual chaos, but the good news is the good news. The story doesn't stop there. I wanna ask today, what is the response? What is God's response to our waywardness? To be a good reader of the Bible means that you pick up on literary cues. I like to read novels, I like to read poetry, and I'm always paying attention because a good writer will tuck away very subtly these clues. And it's really important to read the Bible literarily. It's really important to keep your eyes open. We don't just kind of punch through our chapter for the day and move on. No, like we, we're keeping our eyes open. We're saying, Lord, what are you trying to say here? And what is the writer doing here? I want you to see the very first question in all of the Bible because discovering what the first question is will give us a clue about where this story is going. The first question is not Adam and Eve saying, how does this work? The very first question does not, uh, does not arise from the, the children of God tugging at his coattails, you know, nagging God. The very first question is put on God's lips, and I want you to see this in Genesis 3, 8, and 9. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden at the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you. Where are you? Where are you? Look, I have three kids. If my kids were lost, the entire world shuts down. My life is about one thing. Find my children. Give me my children back. I want my babies. Where are you? Have you ever, have you ever been in a crowd of people at the fair, the state fair, everyone's eating their, you know, nasty stuff and funnel cakes and there's people everywhere and it's the world's largest pig and all this stuff, you know, There's people everywhere and one of your little babies gets away from you and all of a sudden the world stops. 
You become about one thing and it's get my baby back. I want you to know that that instinct inside of us is the instinct of the Father God in heaven for us. Where are you? Where'd you go? What happened? Why is communion broken? Why are you not out on the walk with me tonight in the garden in the cool of the day? Adam and Eve, I've got a better story for you. I've loved you with an everlasting love. You arose not out of my frustration or my vexation. You arose out of my creative genius and my love for all of creation. I've made you in my image. Where did you go? Where are you? Have you ever had, have you ever been around or seen a prodigal child and you're thinking to yourself, this is not how I raised you. What happened? Where are you? I remember when we would tuck you in at night and read you the scriptures. And I remember when we would sit around the dinner table and I remember, and something shifted when you went off to college. I don't know what, where are you? Friends, this is the pathos of the Father in heaven who insists on getting his creation back. And Genesis 3 tells us that God will not passively sit by and allow us to be lost. This is the hound of heaven who is beating the streets, pounding the pavement, racing after us to the farthest reaches reaches of the garden. And he is the God who will not, he doesn't sit on his throne and cross his arms and go, well, let me know how that worked out for you, you stupid idiots, and I told you. He doesn't sulk and he doesn't pout. He's the father who goes, give me my kids back. I need my babies because I, I dreamed you up in love and I will have you in the end and I'll get this story back on track, but don't you go hiding from me. Where are you? The very first question in the Bible gives us a cue as to the God that we are working with. And he will always be the God who walks the streets and who looks for his lost sheep and his lost people saying, where are you? And this is the ministry of Jesus. Think about Jesus coming on the scene in the midst of the human story of despair and chaos and brokenness and wars and rumors of wars and the Roman empire dominating the known world at the time. And Jesus comes into the story as God's great where are you? I mean, he's hanging out with all the wrong people. He, he, he's walking the streets and there's this woman caught in adultery and she's down in the dust and there's these religious leaders and they've got the stones and they're ready to kill this woman. And Jesus comes and goes, where are you? Oh, there, there you are. I am so glad to see you today. And by the way, let any of you without sin go ahead and cast the first stone, but walk on because my father did not come for the healthy, he came for the sick. Where are you? Jesus comes and he finds the leprous people out in the outskirts of the society and he goes and kisses them on the face. Where are you people? Come home, come home, come home. All the tattered and torn and all the lost and the lonely and all the wrong people, why? Because Jesus is God's great where are you to the world. Praise God that we, we serve a God who will not let us be lost. Praise God that we, Jesus tells these stories. It makes no sense to me on paper. He says, you know, there was a, there was a, a sheep herder and he had a hundred sheep and you know, business was good. That's a, that's, a great, that's a great economy right there. But one of them goes off in the night and is lost in the ditch. And I read that story and I go, 99% ain't bad. I do, I just think it's, you're gonna waste all that energy and all that time and it's, it's inefficient. The love of God is inefficient. The love of God doesn't make sense in our spreadsheets. 
This is the God who goes, I thank God for 99, but where's my one? Where are you? Come home, come home, come home. And this is the God who goes and finds us in the ditch and he lifts us up and he cleans us up and he brings us home and he rejoices that night because he got the one back. Brothers and sisters, the love of God is inefficient. This is the God who says, where are you? The good news today that I want you to hear is God cannot be worn down by our waywardness. This is the God who just keeps coming at us with his mercy. Friends, today, we know the Genesis 1 and 2 story. We know that the story starts in goodness and blessing, in God's favor and God's abundance. We know it's a world of abundance. Genesis 3, though, we have to name the reality that we all have Adam and Eve inside of us, and it must be driven out. (laughs) We got to get the new Adam inside of us, the, the man Jesus Christ. We all know when shame and hiding break out and when competition, ruthless competition and eventual violence is on the brink, we've got to come and not point the finger and go, it was the woman, it was the snake, it was Fauci, it was Rand Paul, it's the Democrats, it's the Republicans, it's the blacks, it's the whites, it's the browns, it's the rich. Do you understand this is the world we live in? What do the saints do? We go, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love and blot out the stain of my sin. I have done what is evil in your sight. And I'm here to tell you today that when the saints live this way, the world has a chance of being remade. And so today I'm inviting you in to the mercy of God. I'm introducing you all over again to the God who always says, where are you? And friends, I had this sense as I was praying that some of you would come here today and you've been out in the far country. You've been hiding behind the tree in the middle of the garden. You're embarrassed. You know you're guilty. We've all been there. And I just heard this sense from the Lord that that there were gonna be people coming here today carrying unbelievable shame and guilt and the enemy has heaped it up on your head and has pushed you down into the dirt and here Jesus is saying, where are you? The Father is here to lift you up today. And so if it's you today, I'm saying to you simply, come home, come home, come home, come home, come home, come home. You don't have to live another day in the, in the furthest reaches of the garden. You can come home. The Father is here today and he's saying, where are you? Can you say amen today, church? Would you stand with me as we come to this moment? The band is gonna come and we'll receive communion here in just a minute, but the very next thing we need to do is we need to repent together. Repentance, we think of it as some sort of dark and heavy, ominous word. I'm here to tell you today, repentance is a joy word. (laughs) Repentance is good news. Repentance is throw a party because mercy's breaking out. And so the saints of old in every language, in every nation of the earth have been praying this prayer and a form of this prayer for thousands of years. And so this prayer of of repentance is gonna come up on the screen and we're gonna ask God for his mercy. So would you join me today and don't pray this as a routine. Let's pray this by faith. Let's pray this from the depths of our being. And would you now join me in praying this prayer saying, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done, and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. 
we are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Saints, the good news of the gospel is that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The God who says, where are you now is the God who says, welcome home. So for those of you who came in carrying shame, go home free today. For those of you who came in afraid and looking over your shoulder, welcome to a world of abundance all over again. God is for you and you will not lack. For those of you who came in embarrassed, I say today, this is my daughter. This is my son whom I love. In you, I am well pleased. That's the father's pronouncement over you today. Welcome home. The God who says, where are you says, welcome home. Let's worship the Lord together.
church, would you get your communion elements ready to receive? We're gonna do something here that I've never done at communion time. We have received forgiveness today, right? We have received the welcome home of the Father, but we're gonna turn this time as we receive into a time of intercession for those who are lost. We're gonna pray for prodigals today. We're gonna pray for our world that is fractured and chaotic and ruthlessly competitive. We're gonna pray for our world that's the world of scarcity and we're gonna call this world back into abundance today. So would you get your communion elements ready and let's begin to pray. I want you to think about the people that you think of that are lost, they're way far out, they're gone, they're aching, they're hiding, they're living in shame. And as you're holding that bread right now, would you just begin to pray that Jesus would feed them today? Come on church, this isn't a spectator sport. I want you to lift up their names. I want you to pray blessing over them. We say come home in Jesus name. Where are you? <laughs> Let them hear where are you today, Lord. We pray that you would draw them home. Come out of hiding. Shame be rebuked in Jesus' name. Fear be rebuked in Jesus' name. Come walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day again. So Lord, today, we can hear you taking the bread. We can see you taking it, breaking it. We hear you saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Think about Jesus hours later, he's going to be hung on a tree to reverse all of the shame and the hiding behind the tree. <laughs> it's, not, it's not an accident that Jesus was hung on a tree on, the, on that hill that night because he knows what happened at the tree in Genesis 3. Jesus is reversing the curse in this act. And so Jesus, we receive this bread from you and we pray for all of our friends today that somehow, some way today they would hear the call, where are you? And that they would come home. Lord, would you feed our friends and our family today? We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you may receive the bread. And in a world that's thirsty for love, in a world that's thirsty for communion, in a world that's thirsty for forgiveness, in a world that's hungry and thirsty, Lord, we pray today that you would nourish us, that you would give us a drink. Friends, your sins are forgiven, and we pray over all of our friends that they would receive forgiveness today. You may drink. Come on, let's sing.
Church, would you open your hands today to receive the blessing of God? God is going to send you back out of here in abundance. God is going to send you out of here in fullness. God is going to send you out of here in confidence and in joy and in blessing. And so I pray today, may the Lord our God, he's the only one who can do it. Not by power, not by might. By the Spirit of the Lord, may the Lord our God bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and all of your people and, and, and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his bright, smiling countenance upon you. And may he grant you peace today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Can we give God thanks for what he's done here today? Can we give this team thanks for leading us in worship today? So excellent. Jordan Victoria Lewis, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Jordan. Hey, I want to invite our prayer team to come down. If you have any extended prayer needs, we want to agree with you, lay hands on you, encourage you. So if that's you, come on down for prayer. First Wednesday, this Wednesday night, 6.30, right here. Let's go for it. And if you're new, come see us at Connect Central. Go today in God's grace and peace. Much love.